Christ's mission is our mission. There's a reason why our call to share Christ and his gospel is called the Great Commission. Not just another commission, it is the greatest task you will ever be assigned. Do you know that the tremendous blessing of helping somebody walk from darkness into light is an opportunity that we will never have again after we die? Never. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no need for evangelism. You have one chance to be a part of the work of Christ in saving someone's soul. And you're living in that chance right now. Pretty powerful, huh, church? All right, do me a favor, get your Bible out. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 24. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. Uh, it will radically change your life, okay? So get that out. And uh, while you're kind of doing that, do me a favor. Uh, a couple things I just want to highlight. This Saturday, Women in the Word, August 27th, 9.30. Man, you're going to have breakfast. You're going to have... Uh, Great time of worship and the Word, and hopefully build some community, ladies. So come on out, and that's Saturday. And then next Sunday night, we have Night of Prayer, and uh, we do this four times a year. And so we do it kind of at like the beginning of the school year, man. We want to ring in the school year with some prayer. And uh, so that's 5 o'clock right here. It's going to be an incredible night. We have, uh, I think we're baptizing nine people that night as well. So just really, really incredible. You're not going to want to miss it. Come on out. And then September the 11th is our kicking off our eight-week fall small group season. So here's the ask. If, you're, uh, if Coastal's your home church, uh, we are asking that every person who calls Coastal their home church be a part of a small group for eight weeks. Make an eight-week commitment. And, uh, and so you can go online there at small groups, and you will find uh, one that suits your calendar or affinity group, if you're looking for a men's group, women's group, mixed group, whatever, we have them. We really want you to be uh, in a small group. Uh, get your note sheet out. Take some notes with me this morning. Uh, that's really just a memory tool. You kind of remember more of the things you write down. And it also, when we go in our small group season, we do sermon-based small groups, so it'll prepare you for your small group as well. I don't know about you, uh, probably some of you, many in this room, but not all. Maybe you grew up in a church that uh, on Sunday morning they would uh, have uh, the children would worship in the worship service uh, through the singing, and then they would come forward for what was called a children's sermon. And they'd kind of like what Pastor Andrew does at Christmas Eve. If you've been to our Christmas Eve service, he does a phenomenal job with that. I would never do that. It would terrify me. Kids terrify me, okay? So super nervous around kids. Uh, pastor Andrew's amazing. Kind of like that, right? They gather at the front, and the pastor will teach a children's sermon. Anybody grow up in a church like that? And my church did that from time to time, yeah. And so the story is that there was a pastor doing that, and he brings the kids up, and he wants to teach the kids that the the people are the church, not the building. And so what he does is he has the kids turn around and face the audience. And so the kids are up front, and they're turning around, they're facing the audience, and he asks them, he says, what do you see? And of course, he was hoping to hear people or something like that, and then he was going to teach how the people are the church. Instead, what he got is one of the young kids yells out, well, they're bored. And, uh, and so that was the answer, right? And that's like the, what a lot of people would say about church, right? In fact, you guys probably know this, right? If we went out into the community, 
And we polled people and asked them, man, why don't you go to church, right? There's three main reasons people don't go to church. Reason number one, the church is full of hypocrites, all right? Reason number two, the church is always asking for, man, you guys are really good at this, so uh, yeah. And number three, the church is boring, right? And so, you know, I think there's answers to all three of those, as we know, as we follow Christ, right? Like, uh, you know, we, we become a Christian, and we, be, and we, we are now the church because the Holy Spirit lives in us, but we're still in process, right, our sanctification. And I would suggest to you, every time we sin, uh, we are not living up to what we say we believe. And so in that regard, we're all hypocrites, even Christians, right? And, and, uh, and I will tell you, if you're a part of a church for any length of time, probably more than a week, somebody in the church will hurt your feelings, right? And so I've got really great news for you if someone hurts your feelings. Uh, the scriptures actually, Jesus actually gave us a way to get over this and, and to deal with this. It's in Matthew 18. If someone hurts your feelings and you can't seem to get forgive and move on, you get to sit down with them one-on-one and say, guess what, man? You hurt my feelings and this is what happened. And it gives a brother or sister in Christ an opportunity to repent and say, man, I blew it and let's forgive each other and let's join elbows, join arms together for the cause of the gospel going forward in this thing called the church, right? That's what most people do, right? When that happens, when they get their feelings hurt. I, uh, one of the things that happens with me every, from time to time, I'll have somebody make an appointment with me and they'll tell me they're leaving Coastal. I'm leaving Coastal. I know that shocks some of you. Like, really? That happens? Yes, not much. But I, like, and I, I appreciate when it does. appreciate when someone's brave enough. And a lot of times they'll sit in front of me and they'll, they'll give me their reasons why they're leaving Coastal. A lot of times it's real high and lofty theology. You know, they're super smart. And finally, I'll look at them and I'll say, who hurt you, right? And, uh, and as soon as I ask that, usually there's a relationship that's hurt. And I'll say, well, great, we've got Matthew 18. Like, we can go make it right. And they don't give me the name, you know. And, and finally, they're like, well, it's too late for that. And I'll be like, I didn't know there was a statute of limitations on getting relationships right, right? So, and so the church is full of hypocrites, right? The church is always asking for your money. Well, I just preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Church doesn't need your money, all right? We want you to know Christ, and Christ gets everything, right? And, and number three, the church is boring. And we don't want the church to be boring. And in fact, we're coaching some of our young pastors on Thursday morning. We have a pastoral training class. And right now we're in the middle of our homiletics section, which is where they have to preach to a lot of the staff pastors. And we sit there with a note sheet and we critique them. How intimidating, right? Like it's so intimidating. And I know they're thinking like, Pastor Sean don't know what this is like. And I'm like, yes, I do. I get every week. It's called anonymous tear-offs. You stink. And in the offering basket, it goes, whatever. But, uh, you know, and so, but one of the things I tell these young up-and-coming pastors, I'm like, man, we have the greatest story on the planet by, I don't know that it's a sin, but it's close to make it boring. Like, don't make it boring. We have the most incredible story of the redemption of God through Christ. Amen, church? And so those are my three answers to those. But, you know, I think sometimes even Christians, we adopt these three criticisms and we throw them out there and we forget what a high view God has of his church, man. And we need to be really, really cautious how we talk and what we post on the internet in regards to the church. Like God has a high view. And so we're going through that. You know, last week we looked at how the God sees the church as his flock and Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And next week we're going to talk about how 
God sees the church as the body of Christ. You and I are the hands and feet of Christ here in the community as we serve the Lord. And today, I mean, what an intimate word the the scriptures give us in regards to the church. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. I mean, that's incredible intimacy. I would imagine some of you guys, like if I walked into your house and... um, I started picking on you and razzing you, like you could probably take it, but man, if I started picking on your wife, like look out, right? Like I'm going to see Papa Bear is going to come out. Yet as Christians, sometimes we pick on the bride of Christ, the church, and as Christians, okay, so I might expect it from the world out there, those that are not followers of Jesus, but as Christians, we need to heighten our view of the church. So let's look at this. Here we go. Let's jump in, pull three points out this morning that I hope will encourage you and challenge you out of Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5 is clearly a passage about marriage, and it's clearly a passage about Christ and the church, Okay, and so I would say 90% of the time when I've taught on Ephesians 5, I've taught it from the perspective of marriage. And I may even reference that a little bit here this morning, but I want you to put a different hat on because the Apostle Paul intertwines two very important truths here out of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you, as we read this text, I want you to have the idea and in your mind's eye that the church is indeed the bride of Christ. So here it is, Ephesians 5, 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit submit in everything to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, whole side note here. I said I wasn't going to preach a marriage sermon, but your marriages, Christian people, are a reflection of Christ in his church. Like that is a powerful and deep truth. And Paul here gives instruction, likening it to how we relate to Christ in the church. That's how our marriage should be. So tonight, today, what I want to do is I want to pull three points out and really apply it to the church as the bride of Christ. So the first thing is, number one, is purity, right? There's purity in marriage, Paul says there should be purity in the church. And how is the church made pure? Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So first of all, men, uh, in the marriage piece, 
If you're running around telling your wife to submit, I want to pull your wife in and say, how much is your husband sacrificing for the church or for you, right? We should be able to hear how much sacrifice you're making for your wife. We should be able to hear that you're going to bed exhausted because you're coming home to serve and to sacrifice for your family. How many of your women are elbowing your husband right now, right? How many of y'all want to talk to Pastor Sean's wife, Miss Jen, right now and say, hey, what? <laughs> yeah, never mind. Let's not do that. Okay, so we are here to sacrifice for the church. Why? Because for the church to be made pure, it came, letter A, at the sacrifice of Christ. So let me unpack the gospel for just a minute. Because the gospel of Jesus should be influencing everything about our lives. It's not a tack on. It's, it's the complete worldview of a believer. In fact, in, in the area of sexual purity in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul reminds here that we are to walk in sexual purity. Why? Because you are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were bought with a price. The church has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. The church that you are putting down, or maybe you have put down, has been bought and sacrificed for by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the church is made pure by the sacrifice of Christ. So let me unpack this for you, all right? I want to start here. I want to start with the doctrine of justification, okay? The doctrine of justification is a big church word that means to be declared righteous, okay? And so when you become a Christian, when you repent of your sin and you receive the gospel of Jesus... It's the person and work of Jesus that declares us righteous. So let me frame it this way. Jesus lives a perfect life. That means he fulfills the law of God perfectly. He dies on the cross for our sin and he bears the wrath, God's holy wrath for your sin and shame and guilt. He bears that and mine and he bears that in our stead He places his body in a grave, and three days later, he overcomes the consequence of sin, which is death, authenticating his claims as being the Messiah and authenticating his claims as being the only way to God. Therefore, when we repent of sin and believe in God's rescue plan, which is Jesus Christ, the perfect works of Christ, his righteousness, are gifted to our spiritual bank account by grace alone through faith alone so that one day when we stand before God Almighty and give an account of our lives, we can say, I'm declared righteous because I received Christ as my Savior. Therefore, I stand in the presence of God justified, not by my works, but by the works of someone else, the gifted works of Christ's righteousness given to me by grace through faith. That doctrine of justification. Everybody with me? Now, the gospel is also in the process of saving us. So we're saved when we receive Christ. Now the Holy Spirit enters us, 
And now we're in this process called sanctification. And at the root of the word sanctification is the word sanctify, which means to grow in holiness and righteousness. And so now the Holy Spirit is in us and we're growing to be more like the person we've already been declared to be, right? The person of Christ. And so now we're growing to be more like Christ. That does mean we still sin, we stumble, we fall. But now because we love Christ and we love what Christ loves and Christ loves righteousness, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? When we get confronted or convicted of our sin, we go, man, I hate that. I no longer want to be like that. Jesus shed his blood for that and he sacrificed for me. And so now I am free, free. We just sang about it. I'm free. What am I free to do? I'm free to walk in holiness and righteousness. I've been freed from the bondage of my sin. I'm now freed up to walk in holiness and righteousness. So the same God that is saved us is the same God that is in the process of saving us, the same gospel. And then one day upon the return of Christ, who already defeated death, we will, our faith will become sight and we will be glorified and no longer will our sin nature be in us. We will be free, fully free indeed. Our faith will be sight and we will be glorified. There'll be no more wrestle with sin. It is the gospel of Jesus that declares us purified, grows us in purification, and one day it will fully and finally happen. Isn't that great news? And so Christ has indeed saved us, and we are purified by the sacrifice of Christ. Secondly, Paul says, we, are, we grow in purity by the word of God, okay? And so we receive the gospel, and then we grow. This sanctification process is knowing the word of God and growing in holiness and righteousness. Verse 526, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We at church, we need to be in the word of God. You need to be in the word of God. You need to be a regular reader of the word of God. We need to love the word of God. We need to cherish the word of God. We need to obey the word of God. And by the way, it means that your home church Wherever you decide to park yourself and your family needs to be preaching the Word of God. Amen? The only time that you will hear me be negative about a church is the churches in our culture that for reasons known only to them have placed themselves above the Word of God and are no longer declaring to be sinful what the Word of God declares to be sinful. The only time you hear me be negative about a church is when a church places itself above the word of God and alters and monkeys with the essential doctrines of the gospel that save us. So when when a church decides that Jesus was not born of a virgin, that, that monkeys with the totality and our understanding of the gospel. Whenever I hear a church doing that, I will say, man, you, you're no longer a church. You may have it out on your billboard, but you have put yourselves over the word of God. Churches should be holding up this book, even the per- pe- parts that are culturally difficult, and they need to be saying, thus saith the Lord. Because if we don't do that, what we do is we keep the sheep in bondage because the sheep, and I'm one of the sheep, needs to know the truth so that we can be set free indeed in the person and work and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? So the only time you'll hear me criticize a church is when they cease to preach the essentials of the Word of God and set themselves above it. I uh, Last year, I 
we did a series. So if you're new to Coastal, go online and find it. We did a series called Stand, and I tried to pick some of the most culturally difficult topics that the culture's wrestling and bumping against the church. And I preached and said, here's why we stand on these things at Coastal, because this is what the Word of God teaches. And I, I knew it was going to be culturally difficult, and I thought no one would come back the following week, and people kept coming back. It was amazing to me. So here we go, all right? So we have to stand on the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God washes us and grows us in our sanctification to be holy and pure, right? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, Paul finishes his thought. What's he finish it with? He says, we got to preach the word so that he, Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. It is the word of God that grows us in holiness. Amen, church? And listen, if you're in coastal church leadership, you need to be in the word. If you're in coastal church leadership and you're struggling with sin, listen, find someone you trust and tell on your sin. The book of Numbers says, be sure your sin will find you out. One of the things that we say all the time behind the scenes to our, to our staff is tell on your sin before it tells on you. Because there's grace and mercy and counseling and opportunity. If it tells on you, it gets more difficult, right? Tell on your sin. Let the Holy Spirit free you. And it makes me sad and sick at levels that it's hard for me to even describe when, when I hear about a pastor falling into sexual sin. Man, that, that's when the language hypocrite sticks, right? And so as we're growing in leadership, this is a place... If you tell on your sin, man, there is room for growth and grace and mercy. But man, don't let it tell on you because we are all in process and to be growing. It's the word of God that washes us and makes us holy and more like Christ. So, so Christ makes the church is the bride of Christ and it's purified by the blood of Christ and it's purified by the word of God. All right, number two, Paul brings out unity. Unity, there should be unity in the church, right? Just as in marriage, there's one flesh in marriage. So there's unity between Christ and his church. Ephesians 5.29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Christ cherishes his church. Jesus Christ cherishes his church. Who are we to have a lesser view of the church of Jesus Christ than Jesus himself? And so if you're here this morning, you say, man, I love Christ. Guess what you love? You love what Jesus loves. That's, your, that's kind of the overview of my sermon is letter A, right? We love what Christ loves. Christ loves his church. What does that mean? It means he loves the people. The people that offend you. And then you don't take the time to make it right. And you bump off to the church down the street. And five churches in, maybe it's a you problem, right? And if we love, if we love Christ, we love what Christ loves, and he cherishes his church. 
So the obvious overflow, which I've already hinted at, right? If we love Christ, we love what Christ loves. That means we have unity with one another. We love each other. Obviously, the this is a marriage passage, right? We, sh- we shouldn't be intentionally wounding our spouse spiritually or emotionally or physically. I'm talking about the church this morning. We, sh- we shouldn't be intentionally wounding the church. We we're to be loving one another, pulling. The, the point of the church is to pull together our time, talent, and treasure to serve the purposes of what Christ has left us here on the planet to do. To do that together. We're better together. We, which means, as a church, we have unity of purpose. We're, we're We're in the boat rowing together for the purposes for which Christ has left us here on the planet to do. As our opening video kind of suggested, there really isn't anything higher that we could be about. There's some things that we get to do now that we won't do in eternity future. And so at Coastal, we've spent a lot of time, the leadership of the church has spent a lot of time trying to think through, like, how do we develop a church that pulls together in unity towards the purposes and uh, that Christ has left us here. And so we looked at two really, I think, key passages of the teaching of Jesus and said, what did Christ leave us here on the planet to do? And the first is the great commandment. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, sum it all up. What did Jesus say, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, what's the great commandment? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So first commandment, love God with all that you are. And the second, Jesus says, so like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So Jesus said, what's our purpose of being here? To love God, to grow in our love for God, and to love one another. Encourage one another. And then it's the commissioning that Christ gave us, Matthew 28. We also have, so we have this tension of one another, a little bit of a holy cloister, a holy huddle, but that's not the end. We also have to be sent. It's not an either or, it's a both end. There's this one another aspect of Christianity, and there's this go and do and find and be, right? And so Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so the the leaders of the church have looked at the great commandment and the great commission and said, how do we develop, how do we take a church and say, man, we want to be unified in the purposes that God has left us on the planet here. So we've developed a vision and a mission statement. The vision statement is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And all of these words were ch- chosen specifically. One, development is a process. We don't arrive, we're growing. Secondly, we want your process to be authentic and real. And third, you're not following Coastal Church. You're following Christ. We want you to point you to Christ. And so then we said, how do we do that New Testament-wise? Three things. Number one, we want you to connect by being in corporate worship. Show up every single week. Listen, a Christian should be showing up to corporate worship every single week. 
40, you know, I don't know how, I know you travel sometimes, 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 it should be in the high 40s. Every week, a Christian should be in corporate worship, gathering with other saints to be encouraged in the Word and in the Lord. Grow. We want you to be in a small group. There's, I think there's like almost 30 one another passages in the New Testament. There are things that the New Testament commands us to do that we cannot do sitting in rows with hundreds of other people facing forward. It requires that we're rubbing shoulders and linking arms and no other people, other people who have bad breath and can't sing. And like there's an, one another aspect of Christianity. And for us, the vehicle for that is your small group. You have to be in a small group to be, a de, a, to be developing as an authentic follower of Christ. And then number three, we want you to serve by being in a ministry of Coastal. That supports the ministries that we do and a mission of Coastal so that we're on evangelism. So we're taking the gospel outside the walls of the church. It's a both and, okay? And so the way we do that at Coastal is we ask our people to be members of the church. What is membership? Membership is signing your name. It doesn't make you a Christian. Being a Christian is committing yourself to Jesus Christ. Being a church member is committing yourself to the people who are committed to Jesus Christ. And so we have our, our starting on-ramp is our We Are Coastal class, okay? And it's on September the 17th. If you've never been, put it on the tear-off. It's Saturday night, three and a half hours. That's the on-ramp. We have dinner. We have child care. Okay, I'm going to challenge some of you. Some of you need to stop dating Coastal and start committing. Okay? Like, get in the and start rowing with us because we want to help you develop as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And all the commitment level is, I'm committing to the process. Connect, grow, and serve, right? I, I run into people all the time who are like, man, I love Jesus, but I, I don't like organized religion. You ever run into somebody, I don't like organized religion. And I'm always like, Coastal's a church for you. We're only semi-organized, okay? So, like, we're getting there. But uh, here's, what or, so let, here's what organization is, okay? Matthew 28, Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, the apostles go out, Pentecost happens, and 3,000 people show up. 3,000 people, Pentecost gets saved. I want you to imagine tomorrow, next Sunday, you come to the 11 o'clock service. I hope this happens. And there are, instead of, I don't know, let's say there's five to 600 people in the 11 15 service. Let's say next week there's 3,000 sitting out here in the parking lot. You wouldn't have anywhere to park. You wouldn't have anywhere to sit. There wouldn't be enough child care ministry. Like, we would be up a creek trying to figure out how do we disciple 3,000 people, right? We're, all organization is, is how do we develop discipleship processes to give care to 3,000 people? Everybody with me on that? And that happened at Pentecost, and they were scrambling to figure it out. And I hope that happens. I hope next Sunday you have nowhere to park. We will figure it out, okay? Uh, but man, I hope that happens. All organization is. And I got to tell you something. I want to give you a, I want to give you a little bit of vision this morning before I move on to my final point. I've been thinking a lot about the life of Coastal. Um, I, uh, I had some, this year's been a little weird for me. One of the weirdness things of the year, of this year is we now have a young man on our staff. He's in our pastoral training program. He actually preached Thursday in our class and did an incredible job. And he got done and I'm like, I think I did his parent-child dedication. Like I'm old, okay? And so, uh, but now, so I'm starting to think in terms of decades. So, um, and so, the first decade of Coastal, 
was what I would call now the foundational years, right? We were in our school, and we were trying to get our first piece of property, and it was just 10 years of just trying to survive, eight years of trying to survive. And how many of you all, raise your hands high, how many of you all go back to Grafton High School? You were part of Coastal. Raise your hand high. Awesome. Anybody else? All right. Give these folks a round of applause. These are some awesome... That ain't loud enough, okay? Because because they've been through four capital fundraising campaigns. Uh, they've given to four building funds, and they've been a part. They were pushing chairs at 6 a.m., just trying to survive. And these are some amazing people, man. They, they saw what could have been, and that was like our first decade, okay? And then decade two, we got into our first building. And uh, how many of y'all were part of Coastal in the first building? And that, oh, Grand High School. Okay. This, for this group, we're going to do a golf clap. Okay. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, just, I'm glad you're here too, of course. And, um, and, so, um, and so those years, as I've been praying about it and thinking about it, are like these were the years of development. Like we're trying to figure out, like God's sending us more people. How do we, how do we develop authentic followers of Jesus? What are our processes to make disciples? What is it? That, how are we going to communicate that we're going to make disciples. And now we're in, in the heading into the third decade as I'm seeing it, okay? And here's what I see God doing. So this is going to excite about five of you, okay? These are, these are the entrepreneurs. These are the ones that are kind of like, you know, you kind of got like a gifting of apostolic, a gifting. Like, I want to go out and take new, like, and so the next decade is, I really believe this, is going to be multiplication. So it's connect, grow, serve, and now we're multiplying. And right now we have four campuses. Guys, we're talking, there are a lot of churches talking to us about adoption. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but we are now in multiplication phase and I'm pumped about it. Amen. Yeah, because we have a, God's given us a healthy church and, and now God's allowing us to influence. And I could envision us having, a, as a church, having a really huge impact for the cause of the gospel. Isn't that cool? And so let's be praying about that and let's be excited about that. But we're here to, to, to work to get, so I'm giving you, like, this is going to unify us, not just unifying us in, in one place in Yorktown, but unifying us maybe in already four sites and maybe more as God gives us, because we are now in multiplication phase, okay? The final thing, the, per, uh, in the, uh, the church is the bride of Christ, is celebration. The church is to celebrate Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Listen to this. Paul writes, So that he, meaning Christ, might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. When Paul says that so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, what is he talking about? He's talking about a wedding celebration, right? A wedding is a big deal, or at least it's supposed to be, right? My oldest son just a couple years ago got married, and it was awesome, man. And, and because we finally got him out of the house, and um, like he moved, and he, he's got a great young lady, and they get engaged, and she's a great Christian girl, and it's all, they're doing it good, and they're following Jesus, and it's awesome, and, and we didn't just show up and, like, let's have a wedding, like, planning went into it, and invitations, and dresses, and, you know, and it was incredible, and we handed him off, and we looked at her, and we're like, we're sorry, we did the best we could, this is what you got, like, good luck, you know, and, you know, just amazing, and, 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 and it's a feast, and it's a celebration, so we're declared righteous, 
and we're growing in. The gospel saves us, and the gospel is growing us, and the gospel is going to have its full and final effect at a wedding feast. And what we do during the sanctification time as a church is to pause and to celebrate and remind ourselves there's a really awesome party coming one day. Y'all with me? In Revelation chapter 19, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, and fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God has given us church as the bride of Christ, earthly, letter A here, earthly celebrations that remind us that there's a great celebration yet to come. What are some of those earthly celebrations? Corporate worship. We're to gather every single Sunday, and corporate worship is not supposed to be boring. And by the way, if it's boring, there is at least a possibility it's a you problem. That you're not coming in here and going, man, I am. We get to... We get to sing together and we're going to, these songs, and I know you're not going to remember anything I say, but you're going to remember these songs, right? And they're going to sit in your heart and they're going to remind you, man, there is a great wedding feast coming where we get an earthly touch of an amazing thing that's coming. And we get here and we're ready to sing and we're ready to, you know, I mean, we're like, we just sang like every praise song right now has a lion coming out of our lungs, you know, like we're praising there's some roaring lion and like we're excited to sing. And if you're not excited, that it very well could be a you problem. And we get to hear the word of God, and we're excited to hear it. And God, you have something for me, and mold me more into the image of Jesus. These are earthly touches of a great day of celebration. We should not be coming in here dragging our sorry little tushes in as if it's an add-on to our week. Be ready to learn and baptism, you know, last, I just said a few minutes ago, a night of prayer next week, like, you know, we got nine people being baptized and it was like golf clap. All right, let me say this again. Next Sunday, we've got nine people who said, you know what? I used to live for myself, but the Holy Spirit has regenerated me and transformed me. And I'm now declaring in front of the church, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody? It's (laughs) earthly celebration of things to come. And next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, right? And, and listen, y'all are clapping now. Y'all won't be here for night of prayer because it's like a, a third. It's a third. Like, show, pack the, we do three services. They're packed. This place should be, there should be no room for night of prayer because we're going to take the Lord's Supper together next week. And as we take it, we're reminding ourselves as we take it, we're looking back that Jesus died for me and shed his blood and sacrificed for me. And we're looking back and we're looking inward that I'm declaring now Jesus lives in me. And as we take the Lord's Supper, we're looking forward to this wedding feast. This place should be packed as we do an earthly celebration, reminding ourselves there's a great day of Christ coming. Amen? A wedding feast. And then you got to be in a small group so you surround yourselves with brothers and sisters of Christ because listen, I know that we live in a post-Christian culture and school is about to launch and our public schools aren't doing us any favors around Christianity right now. We need to be prepared to gather and have other people around us so we're being encouraged and we're being prayed for and when you have a need, there's people that come alongside you and help you meet that need. These are earthly touches of the great day of salvation 
culmination that will fully and finally come, which is letter B, we anticipate in these earthly moments the full and final celebration when Christ returns. And when Christ returns, he's going to set it all straight. Pastor Spencer did a great job this morning just praying, and I loved his prayer. Like, you know, one of the things you don't know about Pastor Spencer, he, he doesn't work here full-time. He, he, he loves, I, I've tried to hire him full-time, he won't. He, he loves working in a workplace like you guys work, and he, you're embarrassed right now. But it's true, like you're really passionate about being out in the workplace and like being with people who don't know Jesus. And uh, so he knows what you're going through. So when he prays about like workplace is hard, it's difficult, like he means that. And so these earthly touches remind us to anticipate the day when it's all set aright. Because this post-Christian culture that you live in, it is not easy. And we need to be gathering together and encouraging us. Because there's a day when Jesus comes, he's going to set it all right. There's going to be no more cancer. Everyone's going to be healed. The, full, the kingdom will be seen visibly, right? There'll be perfect fulfillment in our hearts. The wrestle with sin, you know that sin that you struggle with every day? You're like, why do I keep falling into sin? Like, that's going to be gone too. And we're going to just fully and function in holiness and righteousness. This is what's called the second coming, okay? We're, we're not far from Christmas, believe it or not. At Christmas, we call Christmas Advent. Advent. The word Advent means coming, okay? First coming, Christ came to die for sin and give everybody an opportunity to get right with God. His second coming will be final judgment and then the fully functioning of his kingdom. Faith becomes sight. Isn't that cool? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close by reading you a scripture that's going to whet your appetite for what's to come. It's lengthy. If you're bored, it's a you problem. Because I want you to set your mind's eye and your heart and your affection on what these small earthly touches are reminding us of what's fully and finally coming. Glorification, when our faith becomes sight. The Apostle John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven... And the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I, and I saw a holy city, a, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, the stuff you're about to go through tomorrow and this week that are difficult in the workplace and the wokeness and the tiptoeing around because Christians are now outcasts, uh, the, the cancer, the health issues, the wayward children, the difficult marriage, all the things that you're agonizing as you pray to the Lord. One day, that will be a former thing. Amen? And so we're reminded of that today as we gather. Like, man, I'm keeping my eyes on the things that are former and passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne, the resurrected Christ, 
said, behold, I am making all things new. And then as if he can't contain himself, I just have this picture of the resurrected Christ who's talking to the apostle John. John is in stunned silence. He's not moving for whatever reason. It's like Christ looks at him and he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and what church? This is happening because the resurrected Christ said so. And he finally finishes by saying, and he said to me, it's done I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Man, guys, I know for me, when I get burdened, when I'm struggling, I realize after I read this passage, I'm setting my sights way too low. Setting my sights way too low. We are, as a church, the bride of Christ. We're declared righteous because of the person and work of Christ. We're growing in righteousness because of the person and work of Christ. And the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end is going to make us fully and finally righteous. And you want to know why? Because he said so. Amen? And he's going to bring it to fulfillment. And so here's what I want to do this morning, man. We're going to close with prayer. And then we're going to remind ourselves that we have a God who is, has done, is doing, and will do great things from beginning to end. But before I do that, I want to invite the prayer team up. Worship team, you guys can come on up too. So prayer team, right now, I want you to get up. I know it's a little bit embarrassing. I want you to get up and I want you to come under the screens, okay? So I just read to you, there's going to come a day that the hardships of life will be a former thing. But for today, it's not a former thing. And so these are touches of Jesus' kingdom come, as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so some of those touches, maybe you come in here, man, your burden's heavy and you need prayer. Our prayer team is always here. I said it every week, they're always here to minister to you in prayer. It's not, our faith is not yet sight. And so in the meantime, we need prayer, we need encouragement, we need one another's. That's what the prayer team is here for. They're also here to talk to you about how to have a relationship with Christ. And so maybe you came in, your soul is thirsty. I read Revelation 22 and it says you can drink from the fountain that quenches your thirst forever and ever and you don't know how to do that. Man, the prayer team is always here to do that. But it's really simple. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I need God's rescue plan. It's the personal work of Jesus. And I received Jesus into my life and heart today. That's how you start that relationship. And we would love to talk to you how to do that. Make use of our prayer team. All right, so let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's go out singing. If you're here this morning, you want to receive Christ, man, I want to give you that opportunity right now. It's simple, but it's profound at the same time. Say, Heavenly Father, I um, I came in this morning. My soul is thirsty. I'm broken. I'm needy. And today, as best I know how, I recognize my sin has left me in a place I no longer want to be. It's best to understand it. I turn from my sin. I receive Christ. I start a new life, a new journey with Christ. I want to be free to grow in holiness and purity and righteousness. Free from my sin and my shame and my guilt. And so today I receive, God, your rescue plan for me, your son, Jesus. And I begin that important journey. 
God, for the one in this room that's a Christian, God, they've been a Christian for a long time, but man, today their weight is heavy. A loved one has passed. A, a child they're praying for received you. A marriage that is struggling, God, it's been really hard. And and today it's just been, man, a longing for the day that their faith would become sight. In the meantime, God, I pray that you would show up and give them grace and mercy and perseverance and help and community. For the Christian this morning that's tangled in a sin, their sanctification today feels like a grind. This has been so difficult. God, may you be gracious to them. And Sometimes you fully and finally deliver us from temptation, and sometimes you make us continually on a moment-by-moment basis draw near to Christ. And so in either of those, God, you can be glorified in the life of that Christian today, and I pray that they would today draw near to you. Pray that you would give them grace to walk in holiness and righteousness today for the fame and glory of Jesus. And then as a church body today, God, your bride, this precious, precious group of people that Jesus cherishes. God, we're going to stand to our feet and we are going to declare that you are indeed the God of great things. You have done, you are doing, and you will do. And so we are going to declare with our lips your praise, and your glory until our faith becomes sight. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's go out singing this morning.